Last week marked two years since the Hendrickson family moved to Palos Verdes to plant this church. Uh, pretty exciting. And uh, I must say, time flies when you're having fun. Am I right? So uh, we've been going through First Peter, and it seems that we've been flying through it. We're already in chapter 4, and so you can open your Bibles there. First Peter chapter 4, that's where we're going to be this morning. Let me pray for us as we enter into this time. Lord Jesus, thank you for your, uh, for your church. Thank you, Jesus, that you reign supreme over this place and in your people, Lord. We ask that as we open your word today that you would speak directly to our hearts, Lord. Thank you for the power of your word, the transformation that it brings to us. And I pray that you bring it to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, you know, we've received so many great truths so far as we've been going through 1 Peter Uh, We recall how the front half of this epistle was loaded up with our identity in Jesus Christ. Um, Like, for instance, how we have become elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit and for obedience to Jesus Christ by the sprinkling of his blood. That's just a really beautiful way of saying that you belong to God, that God knows you and that he has set you apart in order that you might be one who will live for Jesus. Peter puts it like this, and we even sang about it in one of our worship songs today, that you have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Hope is alive in us, isn't it? And hope is alive in us because Jesus is alive. Jesus is seated in all glory, honor and power in heaven and we know that we will one day be with him there so while we are still upon the earth as god's people we know that this world is not our final destination right that we are just passing through that these failing bodies are not our final destiny can anyone say amen to that amen but that we will go to be with God where he is. There is a future glory that is to be revealed either at the coming of Jesus Christ or us going to him. And so our true home, heaven, I loved uh, Nick, our worship leader, if you saw his t-shirt, it said, University of Heaven. And I asked him, how do you get acceptance into that university, right? And uh, it's uh, free tuition, so... But when we go to heaven, we know that it is a place where there is no sin, there is no suffering, and there is no sadness because we will be glorified with the Son of God. And so the whole reason that Peter has been writing this letter to us is that we would get our minds set on Jesus in heaven. And we know that living in this world brings about many challenges for the believer, doesn't it? And if we're honest, we know that our minds can be hard to control. Our heads are often in the clouds, and that's not a way of saying that we're spiritually-minded people. And so Peter writes to remind us of our, our eternal calling, that we are a heavenly people. And, and this word remind comes up often in Peter's letter. And the reason why is because Peter knew that his time on earth was drawing to a close and that he would himself die and go to be with Jesus. And therefore, he made it a point to spend his last days upon the earth instructing the church about the gospel of our salvation. 
He keeps reminding us of the good news of Jesus Christ. And why does he remind us? Because we're prone to forget. I love that hymn, Bind my wandering heart to thee. That we would not forget what Christ has done for us. And this is one of the reasons why we come to church um, with a regular rhythm. Is because when we gather with God's people for worship, and for prayer and for the opening of God's word, what it does is it reminds us of the things of God. It renews our thinking so that we can be a people who, again, are set upon Jesus and his eternal kingdom. That's why you're here, right? Amen. So we recall again and again each week how much God loves us and how he has a plan for us. And so today, what we want to do again like we would do every week, is we want to loosen up our mind's grip on the things of this world. And we want to get our minds set on heaven where Jesus is. And so let's read our text this morning. It's in 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to be looking today at verses 1 through 6. It says this, 1 Peter 4, starting at verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh... Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Whew, good stuff, yeah? Let's look into it. Beginning again at verse 1, we read, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. And that's what I mean about Peter doing this again. He takes us back to the cross, a reminder again about how Jesus suffered in the, flip, in the flesh. So those words there, since therefore, it's, it's a transition statement, meaning you should remember what came before. And so what did come before? Well, we remember last week how we read how Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, that we would be in relationship with him, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Peter now goes on to say that there are implications to how Christ suffered in the flesh. He's saying, you know, recall this to your minds. Recall, even, even do it right now, remember how Jesus suffered in the flesh. Don't forget that. Because how Jesus suffered is going to inform and influence how you will suffer. And we shouldn't be strangers to the fact that Christians will suffer in this world, right? Been learning that. And so the questions are these. Do you want to suffer well for righteousness' sake? Do you want to live a genuine faith that has been tested and tried as true? 
Do you want to be a follower of Jesus who thrives in obedience to the will of God? And I believe that you're here, you're gonna say, yeah, I sure do, that's what I want. I I wanna live a faithful and fruitful life for Jesus. So can I tell you what I think is the best way that you can do that? I believe the best way that you can live this faithful and fruitful life for Jesus is by being reminded of the gospel. Keep coming back to the truth that Jesus suffered and died on a cross for your sins. Keep coming back to the truth that Jesus was raised from the dead so that you would have a new way of living. Keep coming back to these truths. And I often tell myself this. I say, Daniel, you will never outgrow your need for hearing the gospel. You might be coming to me like, man, that guy's always talking about the cross and the resurrection. That's right, because that's where the power is. You see, the moment that I forget and lose sight of the fact that Jesus suffered in the flesh for me is the moment that I start living in my flesh. But if I'm continually recalling to my heart and to my mind that I am not in the flesh, but I am in the spirit, for indeed the spirit of God dwells in me because Jesus has redeemed me, amen? So the life that I now live, I live by faith that is dead to sin, and alive to God. But I need to daily reckon myself that way before God. I need to daily put to death um, those things that are not for me anymore and begin to live again in the newness of life that Jesus has set up for me. So verse one then continues, since Christ suffered in the flesh, Peter says, arm yourselves. Peter gives the believers in us that emphatic charge, arm yourself. Take up your weapon and prepare to fight. That's what Peter's calling us to. He's saying, go to war. Like a military commander, Peter's saying to the Christian, take up your weapon and fight. But what weapon is Peter calling us to take up? He tells us in the rest of verse one. He says, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Look, I, I wonder if when Peter was writing this, he remembered that night that he was with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and how Peter had a certain idea about what it meant to go to war for Jesus, to fight for his Lord, and, and how Jesus was there in the garden and the betrayer had come and kissed him and then the soldiers seized upon him to arrest him and to take him to the cross. And what did Peter do? He pulled out a sword and he lopped off the ear of one of those soldiers. And you remember what Jesus said to him in Matthew 26, verse 52, Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back in its place for all who live by the sword will die by the sword. Then Jesus miraculously healed that man who had his ear cut off and then even allowed him to be arrested and taken to be crucified. We know the man's name who had his ear put back on, his name was Malchus. Probably the reason we know his name is because he came to Christ (laughs) for the way that this man who he was arresting unjustly put his ear back on. And then he had ears to hear the gospel. 
Amen? No doubt Peter also knew these words from the Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, you probably know these words quite well. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, they're not carnal, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. For we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So church, we are in a war, but the enemy is not our fellow man. Christians, our enemies are sin, death, and the devil. We have been called to take up arms in order that we might kill sin, resist the devil, and not fear death. The battle begins in your own life first, way before you even start thinking about how it begins in other people's lives. And so when Peter says, arm yourselves, you have to think about yourself and and then find out what armor is he telling me to take up. He says, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. The same way of thinking as who? The same way of thinking as Jesus Christ who suffered in the flesh. This language of having the mindset of Jesus is all over the New Testament. We can recall to mind how Philippians chapter two, verse five through eight says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You get that? Having the same mindset that Jesus had who humbled himself and sacrificed himself for others, that's the same mind that we are to take up. You know, there's a a popular slogan What would Jesus do? WWJD. Who's still rocking that bracelet? Anyone? No? But it might be more effective to say this. What would Jesus think? You see, because every action begins with a thought. Guard your thinking because your thoughts will give shape to what you do. We are called to arm ourselves with the same thinking of Jesus. For example, especially when it comes to suffering, if we're thinking like Jesus, then we will suffer righteously like Jesus did. We will suffer humbly like Jesus did. We will suffer trusting God like Jesus did. And that is how our Savior suffered in the flesh. And so we are to have the same attitude and the same mindset of Jesus. So this whole idea of taking up your weapon and and being in the battle is to have a Christ-like mindset, being sober-minded about the battle that exists in you first and then all around you. And so now we come to the rest of verse one. Look down in your Bible. It says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So Peter gives us that statement that 
You know, some people have had trouble trying to make sense of what exactly he means. And he, he makes that statement, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. I can tell you what Peter is not saying. He's not saying that in this life you will be sinlessly perfect. Our perfection is going to come when we enter into glory. That is called glorification, when we're in heaven and there is no more sin. But right now, in this life, we are being sanctified. That means that by God's grace, we should be sinning less as we walk with Jesus, but it certainly does not mean that in this life we will be sinless. Sinning less, but not sinless. That is sanctification. And so is Peter really saying that when you go through physical suffering, you're gonna stop sinning? Well, look, when I step on a Lego, I know that sin still dwells in me. (laughs) I know (laughs) that when I suffer, Sometimes that's what draws the sin even, that, that stuff that's like deep down there that I, I, I'm not really aware of. When I'm suffering, that's when it's coming out. But there is a certain truth that suffering does purify. I, I don't believe suffering will perfect you in this life, but it will purify you. And I can know that for sure. In the ways and the times that I have suffered, especially for the sake of Christ and being named with him. Look, there were a certain group of people in the early church, and they even still exist today, where they've adopted this practice of asceticism. And asceticism is just a form of religion that is based on mutilation of the physical body as a way to try to put an end to sin. And Paul spoke, even in Colossians chapter 2, verse 23, that asceticism has the appearance of wisdom in religion, but it's false humility and it has no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh. So look, I do believe that suffering has a purifying effect, but it will not have uh, a perfecting effect because only Jesus can perfect us through his suffering. Does that make sense? We do not perfect ourselves through our own physical suffering. Let that be clear. But the suffering that Peter is speaking of very well uh, could be referring to how Christ suffered. It's connected. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, the he might not even be referring to us, but referring to Jesus. And that would be true. In Hebrews, it tells us that Jesus, in his fight against sin, resisted to the point of shedding blood. Anybody done that in here? No. It actually says you have not done that. But Jesus ceased from sin because he never gave in to the temptation of sin. Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life, and that's why he could die a perfect death for sin. He died having never sinned, and therefore he put an end to sin once and for all. And all of us who call upon the name of Jesus can stand in his victory. We sang about that this morning. We stand in his victory, not saying, look at what I have done, but look at what Christ has done. And so that statement, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, most certainly applies to Jesus. But can I say, brothers and sisters, It most definitely can also apply to you too if you are in Christ. Look, I've said this before and I'm gonna say it again. You do not have to sin. 
You are in Christ. You have been given power and grace to flee sin, to resist the devil, and to not fear death. See, our enemies of our soul, the, the, the sin, our flesh, and, and the devil, and, and death, they don't need to claim any victories any longer in our life. We've had a clear break with that. We read about this in Romans chapter sin. Paul tells us, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, but that we must reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. You are no longer a slave to sin, but you are a slave to righteousness and sanctification. You do not have to sin. That temptation that comes your way does not have to turn into a sinful behavior. You can be dead to sin and be alive to God. And again, he has provided you with the ability to do that by his power and grace in you. Sin's powerful. Heard this recently up in Santa Barbara at the men's conference. If you were at the men's conference, you heard this. Sin's powerful, no doubt. We're, we're not saying sin has no power in us. But don't say that it's more powerful than the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead that dwells in you. You have God in you. And so that's why we have this promise. My little children, this is in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Do you remember that one from 1 John? I'm writing so that you may not sin. You don't have to sin anymore. But if you do sin, go to Jesus. He is our advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous one. Because only Jesus is the one who is sinless. And I've also said this before. Remember that God is not looking for the perfection of your life, but he is looking for the direction of your life. That more and more, day by day, through sanctification, you will look more like Jesus. And this can happen in your life because you've armed yourself with the word of God and with the spirit of God. And you put that together, you have the power so that when sin knocks at your door, you can slay it. You can make a clean break with sin. So make war on your sin. It's been said, kill sin or sin will kill you. Never forget that it was sin that killed Jesus. And so why would we ever go back to the very thing that our Savior was killed for? And look, we do not have to be at this alone. I just, I gotta remind you, because you might be, that, that's like a hard pill to swallow, that I don't have to sin anymore. You don't, because you've armed yourself with the same mindset as Jesus. Jesus is with you in the fight, and we, as God's people, are in this fight together. Amen? We're in this fight together. You don't have to go at this alone. Now, because we identify with Jesus in suffering, that allows us to make a clear break with sin. Look at verse two. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. See, Peter recognized the reality of time, that time is short. 
Time is running out. And in 2 Peter, the apostle Paul, uh, Peter, sorry, was well aware that he would be soon going to heaven. Peter knew that he even would suffer martyrdom. Jesus told him this beforehand, that he would die in this way. And, and look, regardless of how any one of us in this room goes out, do you know the statistics that one out of every one person will die? So, some people seem to be unaware of that stat. Your life has an expiration date. Some of you may be more aware of it than others, but all of us are going to die. And after death comes judgment. The life that you now live in the flesh will have an end. But Peter says, we only have the rest of the time. How much time is that? Only God knows. Only God knows the numbers of our days but the rest of time that you have in this world, whether it's um, one year, 10 years, 50 years, it's still only the rest of time. And so there is the rest of time that we have on earth. And so Christian, how are you gonna spend the rest of your time here on earth? Verse two, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Of God. No longer implies that there was a time that you did live for human passions. But now that you've armed yourself with the mind of Christ, you now live for the will of God, right? It's true for you. As Peter speaking your language, you're, you're done. Time has passed. Time's up to live according to your human passions, living however you want to live your life. Time's up with that. Now that you're in Christ, for the rest of your time, you will live for the will of God. So verse three says, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. See, I prefer what the NIV says about this, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. This is really good stuff. Peter is saying essentially this. Haven't you sinned enough? Do you really need to keep on sinning? Uh, haven't you already spent enough time living for yourself? When you lived however it was that you wanted to live. He then gives a list of sins that his readers used to do and maybe perhaps were still doing. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. This is powerful because he's saying to the person who has called upon the name of Jesus for salvation, he's asking them and he's asking you right now through the living word of God, are you ready to be done with sin yet? Haven't you sinned enough to know that sin does not bring you fulfillment? Haven't you looked at enough porn? Haven't you had sex with enough people who, are, who you're not married to? 
Haven't you become drunk enough times to know that God's will for you is that it's better to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you done turning to those worthless idols that have no power to rescue you, but only take you deeper and deeper into more sin? Are you done with that? Because the time passed suffices for walking in that sin. You have been given a new way to live. You see, these sins that Peter lists are meant to be things of the past for the Christian. They are not to be things that a Christian is presently doing. And so if you are currently doing any of these things mentioned in this list, then today Christ calls you to repent. If yesterday you committed the sin of drunkenness, let that be yesterday. He has new mercies for you today. You don't need to get drunk anymore from this time forth. This is how people who are counting their sobriety, and if you're here today and you've been sober for uh, X amount of time, God bless you. Because you have resisted the temptations, you have fought against the sin that you know has destroyed you. You're saying, that is my past. I'm no longer gonna be bound to drugs. I'm no longer gonna be addicted to alcohol. I'm no longer gonna be enslaved to my sexual desires. I have better desires now. I am a child of God and I'm gonna live for Jesus. And so if today you're coming and yesterday you got drunk, yesterday you had sex, when you know that God has said sex is for the covenant of marriage, then today have a clean break with that. And today and tomorrow and each day forward until you enter into glory, say, I am done with that sin. The past suffices to live that way. I don't need to try it again. I know what it is to do that. And it was never fulfilling in the first place. And so I want to call out also today a lie that I believe exists amongst people in the church, especially younger people. If you're young here today, I'm going to call out a lie. There's this lie that people think, I need some time to enjoy living in this world. You know, living how I want to live, doing the things that I want to do. This especially happens for people who've perhaps grown up in the church. You're going to go away, perhaps you're going to go to college, you're going to, I'm going to have my time to live how I want to live. And, and you, you have this thought, you know, I know the truth. One day I'm going to come back to Jesus. I know how he wants me to live. And so later on, you know, after I've partied a little bit, after, after I've, you know, had my fair share of drinking parties, once I've slept with kind of whoever I want to, then, you know, once I, you know, get married and settle down and have a family, then I will live for God. Can anybody here throw up their hand and say, that's a flat out lie? Yeah. You know, a lot of those hands going up right now, it's because they did that. <laughs> it's not worth it. Those are the things that I'm now ashamed of. If I, I would have been living then like I'm living now for Jesus, I wouldn't have done those things. And so let it be for you today, especially if you are a young person in Christ, that you would devote these young years of your life to following Jesus. And I promise you, that when you're older, you will not regret it. You will not regret it. You know, when we're young, we measure our age, like my son, he says, I'm six and a half. Because young people, it seems that time goes really slow. 
But who says I'm 60 and a half? No. Not me. <laughs> because those who have come to Christ, and especially now those who are living their older years for Jesus, they realize, man, living for myself never profited anything. And so live your life for Jesus. And now verse four through five. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. And they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So Peter was well aware of the social and the cultural costs of following Jesus. It wasn't a popular message in his culture and in his world to say these things. And I don't think it's very popular today. You might be sitting here thinking, man, this guy's really prude. Super conservative. I'm just simply speaking what the Bible says, right? Be done with sin and live a holy life for Jesus. And it is a jarring message if you have your mind set on the flesh. But if you have your mind set on the spirit, this message is life and peace, amen? And Peter knows what it's like to have come from the old ways, to have to part with those ways of living. Nobody is claiming that this is easy. Nobody is saying, yeah, it was really easy for me to give up my sin. And I even say those words, I even hesitated to say those words, you don't have to sin anymore. Because I know how hard that is for me. But if I'm always preaching about things that we are already doing, then I'm preaching too low. See, we serve the most high God who has called us to the highest standards of holiness. And so if I'm only ever preaching on things that you guys are walking out of here, yeah, I got this. No, I want you to leave with conviction and say, I'm done with drunkenness. Because if we're always preaching the things that you already have figured out, we're preaching too low. And Peter says, with respect to putting away these practices of sins, it's gonna cost you. It ain't going to be easy. Don't be fooled that, that, that you'll just go out, this is just going to come uh, without any sort of repercussions or consequences in your social settings and in your cultural settings. This comes at a cost to your family, to your friends, to your coworkers who are going to witness the change that happens in your life and be like, what happened to you, man? Why don't you ever come drinking with us anymore? You used to be so fun. I think you're taking this whole Jesus thing a little bit too seriously. And some of you might even be thinking, man, this guy's taking this Jesus thing a little too seriously. I am. I'm going to heaven where there is no more sin and eternal life begins at the moment I believed. And so I'm done with sin. It never did fulfill me. I'm going to live for righteousness sake. I'm going to live for Jesus and that will come at a cost because I no longer live for sensuality. I no longer live for drunkenness. And look, I've been drunk. I don't stand here and say, I've never done that. No, I used to do those things that you perhaps used to do or are still doing. And it wasn't hard. It was hard to give up. It was so hard. But the, what I've been rescued from the fact that I've been saved from the flood of debauchery and I've been put upon the ark of God's salvation. Oh, it's so good. And so with respect to this, they are surprised. 
The world is surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. They slander you. And how accurate are those words of 1 Peter that were written 2,000 years ago? You see, sin is not a new problem. Sin is an old problem. Acceptance in our culture as believers living for heaven, uh, rejection for that is not a new problem. It's an old problem. Sin destroys, and there's nothing new about that. And so verse five brings us back to this eternal perspective that when you are maligned, when you are slandered by those people who wanna live for themselves and wanna cling to their lusts and passions, here's the thing, you gotta pray for them. Stay humble and remember your past life of sin. Keep on living for righteousness because you know that you will appear before the judgment of God. Like I said, every single one of us are going to die and then comes judgment. If you're a Christian, you will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That is a judgment only for reward because your sins were judged at the cross. If you don't believe in Jesus, if you reject the cross of Christ, then you will stand before the judgment of God and you will have to be judged in your own sin. And I really don't think you want to do that. And so you can give your sins to Jesus because the just died for the unjust, the righteous for the unrighteous. We can just hand our sins over to Jesus. He'll pay for them once and for all. He did already on the cross for your sins and then you can now stand righteous in the sight of God so that when you appear before God, you will, you will only be judged for reward. You will be given a rich entrance into heaven. And so the rest of your time on earth, conduct yourself in the fear of the Lord, knowing that you will stand before God as your judge and that he has great reward for those who have redeemed the time by living for Jesus Christ, amen? This truth is all over the Bible, putting off the old and putting off the new. And if you need to go find a list of sin in the Bible, because <laughs> you know this is one particular list of sin, and you're like, well, I'm doing pretty good on that list. But if you wanna go over to Colossians, you're like, I mean, uh, definitely not the orgies part, right? It's like you're reading this, whoa, that's, that's not me, that's not me. Let's not get too righteous here because there's plenty of lists like put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. I'll ask the question again. Do you really need to lose your temper again? Haven't you been angry enough? Do you really need to gossip some more? How many friendships have you destroyed? Haven't you cussed enough and told plenty of lies? Tell you what, I'll buy you a dictionary. It's plenty of words in the English language for you to choose from. And this Bible, if you let it be hidden in your heart, truth and love will flow out from you. And so put to death what is earthly in you, Paul says, and set your gaze on heaven. Putting these off is one thing. The best part is what we get to put on, and we'll look at that 
next week. We, we can't just put all this off. We have to put on Christ, and we'll talk about that next week. Let me read our final verse, verse 6. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The gospel is preached, and, and the gospel can only be responded to while you are living. Nobody gets saved after death. Now is the time. Um, it's appointed for men to die once, and after this comes the judgment. Therefore, today is the day of salvation. Do not harden your heart in unbelief. Today is the day that you say, I'm done with sin. I repent and turn from that, and I'm going to turn to Jesus. But Peter seems to speak here about how the gospel is preached even to the, to the dead. What does that mean? Without getting too deep into it, I think what he's coming to is what we discussed last week about that time between his death and resurrection and how he went and led a host of captivity free. But regardless, the, the plain takeaway from verse six is this. For this is why the gospel is preached. This is why I'm standing up here at this pulpit saying the things that I've said today is so that we might live in the spirit the way God does. Who wants to live in the spirit? I do. I do. And perhaps today you need to say, I've been living in the flesh. I've been living however I want to live. I've been living in sin. And if today is the day that you want to make a break from sin, you don't want to run that way anymore. You want to run with Jesus. You want to live for him. Then today you can do that. Let's pray, Lord Jesus, we ask you to come by your spirit and take what has been spoken today. Reveal it to our hearts, Lord, whether we've been a follower of you, Jesus, for a long time. Help us to be taken to another degree of glory, conformed a little bit more today to your image. For, for the people today who perhaps want to come to you for the first time and say, I, I'm done living for myself which ultimately is what sin is living for yourself I want to now live a new way I want to live for the will of God and, and um, you know perhaps you've heard the gospel explained like this if, if you're here right now I just with your eyes closed with your heads bowed I, I want to I want to remind you today of the simple gospel Jesus died on a cross for your sin. You have to come to recognize yourself as a sinner. You can think pretty quickly, I'm sure, of ways that you have sinned. Jesus died on a cross for your sin. There's no sin too big. There's no sin too small that he died for. And if today you confess, which means to say the same thing about your sin that God says about your sin, that it's destroying you, it's not helping you. Today you want to say, I want to turn from my sin. Then because Jesus rose from the dead, today you can have a new way of living. By his power and grace, you can live a life that is set apart for God until you reach heaven. And all who call upon the name of Jesus will be saved. We'll go to heaven. Perhaps this will resonate with some too. The gospel has been explained like this. 
We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. I think the word of God has searched you this morning. And if today um, you want to make a break from your sin because of what Jesus did on the cross, you want to confess it today and say, I want a new way of living. If that's you today and God's pulling at you saying, I want, I want to give you a new way to live, raise your hand. I see you guys right up in here. Over there. See everyone over there. Praise the Lord. Quite a few of you. Praise God. We all want to have that new way of living that's found in Jesus Christ. And today, you can. You don't have to sin anymore because the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. So let's all stand together and let's all give God the praise and the glory for what he has done. We'd love to have the prayer team come on up here in the front. Uh, the steps are up here if you need to kneel in prayer. Um, we're going to be around here, and, and if you need prayer, you want to confess your sins, because when you do, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. If you talk to Jesus about your sin, he'll forgive you. But today, let's worship him. Let's pour our hearts out to him, because he loves us so. God bless you guys.